Bless you. Let's pray. And then I'm going to talk about sex. So, are you ready? God, help me. Please. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're talking about relationships this month, and this week we're talking about sexuality. And uh, sexuality is an aspect that is a part of all relationships. All right, I truly believe this, that sexuality uh, is not uh, somehow separate. It has an influence in every aspect of life and in every relationship in life. And so the, what the people on the, the video expressed, the idea of it's just sex, is it's just a, what they were expressing is a, a lie. Right? Sex is, is something very, very significant. It pervades all of life. And we need to talk about it. I don't preach a lot of messages about it, but uh, do have a lot of counseling appointments about it. <laughs> and it is an issue that all of us, uh, it, it's a powerful issue in all of our lives. <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, it influences uh, every life. In fact, if you think about it, when did your life begin? What were your parents doing? I don't know what that was said, but, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, our life is, is the result of a man and a woman having sex. And uh, it, it's, it's, it really is integrated in all of life. And, and to deny that or to ignore it is, is not healthy. Uh, but we want to understand sexuality and sex in a, in a godly way and my attempt is not to cover all of the issues. It would be impossible. The hard, hardest part about uh, preaching a sermon on sex is just like, what, what am I going to talk about? Because I only have a few minutes, and, and what area uh, do I want to address? And so we're going to look at a portion of Scripture that talks about uh, the issues of sex. But it's no uh, big news to say that our culture is obsessed with sexuality. All right. Every uh, aspect of our culture has been permeated with a a level of sexuality that when I was a kid, uh, I just it's unbelievable the amount of change that's happened within my lifetime. Uh, What is acceptable and just everywhere now was never even seen and heard of. Uh, even even that few years ago. And so there's been a, a really uh, an incredible breakdown in any level of um, propriety and appropriateness, and, and they've pushed every boundary. And a lot of it's marketing. Sex does sell. Uh, it does. It is a very effective tool at getting people's attention. And people that want to sell things, you know, uh, will use it to their advantage. And then there's also all kinds of psychological reasons why um, our culture is obsessed and also very confused. Just a few days ago, I listened to a radio program, and it was from the BBC, and it was a story about a 10-year-old British boy who is going back to school this year as a girl. And I was interviewing the child and the mother and how, you know, uh, this is the first time that the child is going to be able to go back to school and be 
who they really are, and, and this is the first time they're not uh, afraid to go back to school, and now they're just going to they're gonna go to school as a girl, and, and he gets to dress like a girl, I'm just going to be a girl, and, and the mother was calling it the child she, addressing it as she's doing this and she's doing that, and the interviewer was asking all these questions. It was all about how the child felt, you know, and how nice it was. There was no mention of whether it was good, and certainly no mention about whether it was right. And so there's just a, a confusion that just is, is overcome. Australia, just this, this week, the country of Australia now offers the option when you f- apply for a passport, you have three options. You can be male, you can be female, or you can be ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, Am- ambiguous. Yeah, uh, or it's unclear. Ambiguous means it's, we're not sure. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, if you're an Australian, you can choose to be male, female, or other. <laughs> okay, so let's let's think this through. So <clears throat> we got a young a young dad. You know, you've all met a, a, a father having their first child. They're all excited about. Him. Finally, the day comes, and and he goes back to work a few days later, and he shows up. My, my wife had a baby. We had a baby. It's healthy. Everything's great. And all the coworkers smile. Oh, great, John. You know, what do they ask? Boyra. Well, we're not too sure. What we're, <laughs> we're not too, you're not, you're not sure? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're just going to wait and, and, and let them decide. Well, did you look? <laughs> it's, it is really ridiculous. It is, it is, it is ridiculous. And, and I'm not, <clears throat> you know, the, what there, what's happened is uh, there's a, a level of confusion. Uh, upon what is right, what is wrong, and to the fact that they deny whether there is right or wrong. Well, the Scripture addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture if I have time to get through all of this. Uh, now, <clears throat> Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and the, the culture in Corinth was known for uh, immorality and sexual licentiousness. and Everything was okay in Corinth. Uh, it was a common slang to call someone a Corinthian was a... Uh, imply that they were, uh, yeah, sexually prom- promiscuous. <clears throat> but so he's writing to the church in that city, and he says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Hey, don't you know? Don't you know? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, sometimes Christians, even in our day, of course, none of you. But we try to read over that verse. Or like it doesn't apply to us. He was writing to Christians in a church. In a culture that was obsessed and confused about sexuality. And he says, hey! Don't you know? That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is a summary of common destructive lifestyles in 
the day that Paul wrote that, and certainly in our day. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a very pertinent list. And that people who practice these lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he's writing to Christians who were delivered from this, but some people had fallen back into some of those lifestyles. And he's saying, hey, don't be deceived. If you, if you fall back into the lifestyle, you, it will not end in the inheritance of eternal life. It is destructive. It will kill you. It will end in death. And he's trying to bring them back into an awareness that that is not the way to life. But the emphasis on here is that such were some of you. In other words, anyone in any one of these lifestyles, and don't don't overlook, we're talking about sexuality here, but uh, sexual sins like uh, uh, fornication, the word fornicator, is the Greek word is, is just a general across-the-board term for any type of sexual immorality. Okay, it's sexual immoral. immoral. Well, in what way? In any way that is immoral. <laughs> okay, it's the broadest term. And then it gets into more specific <clears throat> idolaters or adulterers. Committing adultery is certainly a more specific. It's having sex with someone that's not your spouse, having sex with a married person that you're not married to, nor homosexuals, nor uh, sodomites. That's a very specific type of sexual act that uh, he's listing. It is, it is included with other sins like theft and covetousness or being drunk. Or being a reviler, one who uh, an evil tongue, or an extortioner. So these sins are not worse in a sense. Uh, the sexual sins are not worse, but they certainly aren't any better. And all of them will result in not attaining the inheritance that you were called to. We're talking about the sexual area, and so that's what we're going to focus in on. One of the things that we need to understand is that all of these lifestyles have been prevalent all through time. That does not condone them, all right? Just the fact that you can see people living a lifestyle of homosexuality or some other form of lifestyle throughout the ages doesn't mean it's good or right, it just mean that, means that people have been erring in that way all along. And it's been addressed all along that those lifestyles lead to destruction and not to life. Uh, in, uh, in Corinth, was, uh, not only was homosexual, a lot, of, a lot of people misunderstand. They think the Bible was written in an age where homosexuality was unknown or they were unfamiliar with it. And so now we've come to a, a more aware uh, state of being. Now that is that is completely historical nonsense, ludicrous. I mean, if someone says that, don't mock them, but feel sorry for them. You know, tell them to read a history book. Okay, um, Corinth and and the Greek Roman uh, society was completely filled with sexual, explicit sexuality, and homosexuality was not only uh, legal; it was expected. And uh, from what I've read in, in uh, history accounts, that uh, in the Greek and Roman uh, culture, every wealthy uh, individual, a man, would have a boy as, uh, for sexual pleasure. It was common. It was a status symbol. 
Right? Prostitution was not only legal, it was a religious act. In Corinth, they had 10,000 temple prostitutes. It was known for that. And so there, was, there were religions that practiced the way to connect with God, with that God, was by having sex in the temple with a temple prostitute. So their culture was actually more saturated with immoral sexuality than ours is. And the Bible speaks into that, all right? And offered, Christianity came uh, uh, and was birthed in a culture that was had uh, incredible immorality and sexual confusion and obsession. And they offered an alternative. And that's one of the reasons why it changed the world. It didn't come in and say, all oh, that stuff's okay. Just put a religious... Uh, whitewash on it, it said, no, that's not the original intent. That's not what God designed for your bodies. That's not what sex is meant for. There's something better. There's an alternative to it. And such were some of you. It means that these Corinthians had walked out of homosexuality, had walked out of idolatry, had walked out of adultery, had walked out of all of these lifestyles and come into a relationship with God that they were rescued from those. And so we have the same opportunity today to offer an alternative. That there is a lifestyle that brings sexuality back to the place where it's intended to be. A lifestyle that uh, communicates that sexuality has significance. And it's sacred. All right. And so I want to under, I want to not just say what, what's right and what's wrong, but I want to get at least a little bit to the level of why. Why sexuality means so much. OK, and that's my goal. And uh, hopefully I'll get to that. In verse 12, it says, oh, one thing is, you know, if we want to offer this alternative uh, to a sex-obsessed and sex-confused society, guess what, folks? We have to be living the alternative. Right? We can't be living a lifestyle that looks like the world and then say we have something to offer. Okay? It doesn't work. All right? Uh, You're fooling yourself. And that's why it's so important to understand godly sexuality and why it's, it's, it, why it's different and why uh, it's better and be able to communicate it. But we have to live it. Uh, we have to believe it and we have to live it. Verse 12 says, All things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful to me, he repeats, but I will not be brought under the power of any. <laughs> Okay, Paul's very clear here. It's not about what's legal or illegal. And I believe that applies both in the spiritual sense and in the civil sense. In other words, if something is legal, is not against the law, doesn't mean it's right. Okay? Paul says the question is not whether it's legal, it's not whether you can do it or whether you shouldn't do it. Uh, It's really about, is it what you were created for? All right. Food for the stomach, he goes on as an illustration. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. So it's not about what's legal or illegal. It's about purpose. 
Food for the stomach, stomach for the food, but God will destroy both it and them. What's he saying here? He's saying the sexual appetite is just like any other appetite. Your appetite for food. What's the purpose of your stomach? To digest food. All right? So food for the stomach, stomach for food. That's what it's, it's fulfilling its purpose. God is over, he's, he's got the power over both of them. In the same way, sexual appetites are like food appetites. Now, we have a problem in America with food. <laughs> All right? We really do. It's hard to talk with people from other countries because one of America's biggest problems is obesity. Okay? And, and most of the world is starving. All right? And so we're obsessed with food, and the problem is we have too much of it. Right? And, 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 but in the same way, we're obsessed with sex. And we think sex, it's like, oh, we just want, we're a consumer uh, mentality. Whatever I want, I can have. And then they want to make it legal. Oh, does that make it right? It doesn't matter. I want it. It doesn't matter. I want it. And Paul's saying, no, it's about purpose. There's purpose. <clears throat> he goes, says, the body is not for sexual, for. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the purpose of the body is the Lord and the Lord for the body. He says this in the context of sexuality. Okay, and so your sexuality is for the Lord. Your whole body, including your sexuality, is for the Lord. What does that look like? I'm not too sure. All I know is that's what he's saying. He's talking about sex, and he's saying that part of your body, like the rest of your body, is part of your relationship with God. Right? It's the purpose. He goes on. <clears throat> he says, the body is not for sex and morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That means that your body has purpose to become one with the Lord. I believe that our physical bodies, everything that we we do with our physical body is important because it affects, it influences our relationship with, with the Lord Jesus. And when, when you and I begin to consciously and intentionally understand this, understand that what we do with our physical bodies, uh, uh, that, that our bodies were created to interact with God, and what we do with our bodies affects that interaction, then we'll stop doing things that break down the communion or interaction that we have with the Lord. Does this make any sense? All right. Let me, let me try to... Uh, <clears throat> sexual, sexual immorality is wrong because it violates the purpose that we are created for. And the purpose is to commune with God. All right? Now, I, I, I want to be clear. I don't think that the only purpose for uh, sex is to have children. All right? That is one of the purposes of sex. But according to this, in the context of sexuality, one of it is for the Lord. God communicates with us through our physical body. And when you violate yourself sexually by committing immoral acts, you break down the connection you have with God. It interferes. Why? Because the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Because God uses your physical body to communicate with you. See, this, at, the root of, at the root of this uh, dualism, what it really is, is this heresy, this lie that thinks that the physical nature is, is bad and there's a spiritual nature that's good. 
And most Christians just buy into this. They think things that are spiritual are good and things that are natural, like our physical body and, and things that we do with our body, is bad. And God is like, no, 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 no. Your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body. And he means your body. Touch somebody. He says, God is after your body. Okay? God wants your body. God wants your body. How does that sound? That sounds a little weird. <laughs> it's true. And listen, let me show you how it's true. When you commit sexual sin, it's hard to connect with God. For those of you who didn't hear, I'll prove it. If you commit a sexual sin, it's hard to connect with God. Now, some people are so engulfed in sexual sin, they don't even know it's harder to connect with God because they're so disconnected. But you live a life of purity, and the more pure you are in your sexuality, the easier it is to commune with God. You know why? Because God communicates through you through your body, as well as through your spirit, which is what he continues to say there. He says, do you not know, verse 15, that your bodies are members of Christ? So shall I then take the member of Christ and make them a member of a harlot? Certainly not. He's just using that one example. Harlotry uh, 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 is just one of the sins listed. He could have used any of the other sins. <clears throat> or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body? With her or him. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So in the act of sex, whether it be in marriage, the covenant relationship where that is supposed to be fulfilled, or in an illegitimate relationship, unmarried, with a, uh, a, in adultery, or I even include uh, pornography and um, uh uh, lustful thinking, you join. There's a linking of your spirit with this other individual. And it's destructive to your spirit. But when you keep your spirit apart from that and you only allow that union to occur in a covenanted relationship, a relationship that you've promised to the other that you're going to be pure to them and you're going to love them, then it's healthy and it's safe for your spirit. And God can bless that. Why? Because it illustrates something. We are created for a purpose. And it's in the covenant of love that we can share that level of intimacy. Because that's what God wants us to share. He wants to commune with us on that level of intimacy in a covenant of love. Does this make any sense? And so <clears throat> sex has a purpose. And that purpose is to experience a level of intimacy within a relationship of committed love so that we can understand what God wants to express and that we can have level of intimacy and interaction with God uh, in a relationship of covenant love that is ecstatic, that is pleasurable, okay? That takes us self... Uh, 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 ourselves out of ourselves and focuses our attention on the other person. But when you use sexuality just to fulfill your own desire, you're robbing yourself of the experience that God created for you to enjoy. And you're treating it like something small and something immaterial. 
Okay, sexual <clears throat> sin is so destructive because it breaks something inside of you. She says, flee in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man or a woman does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, there's something unique about sexual sin. It doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's worse or, 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 or you know, not as equally bad as other sins, but it's a little more destructive. Think about it for a minute. It probably won't take you very long to think of someone whose life was ruined because they had sex with somebody they weren't supposed to. Right? Think about all of the children that are born to single-parent families just because it was okay. But the kids got to grow up without a whole family. It's not okay for that kid. Right? It's not okay. And God's... God's Intention for sexuality is something so much better. And, 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 and wasting it just to fulfill an appetite that you don't have under control is belittling something that is really sacred. I mean, how powerful is sex? Okay? The world understands how powerful sex is. That's why they use it to sell everything. All right? Think how powerful sex is. We can, we can build things. We can build cars, you know, but then they rust and fall apart. We can build buildings, but eventually they'll fall down. But when you have sex with somebody, you have the potential of creating a new life. You don't just make something. You create something. Really? That's amazing. You don't even have to go to school for it. <laughs> You can do more through the act of sex than you could ever do in all of your lifetime because you can create life. You know, that's powerful. It's powerful. And just the union that happens, we call them soul ties, but there's an appropriate connection that happens in sexuality. And it's meant to be reserved for marriage because it's so powerful that you make a connection with the other person. You, there's a soul connection, a spirit connection when you have sex with someone. And that's why it's so important to reserve that for the person you've made a covenantal relationship with. All right, <clears throat> let me get to that. Now, concerning of the, the things um, you wrote to me, um, this is in verse uh, 7. Oh, I've got to say the one other thing. Sorry, before I move on. See, sex isn't just about you. All right. First of all, it's not just your body. All right. I do believe when you become a Christian, your body is the Lord's. That's what it says. And, and even if you're not a Christian, God created you. And so your body is the Lord's. And when you become a Christian, your body is the Lord's. But there's another aspect. It affects the people around you. When you commit sin of any kind, but especially sexual sin, because it's so powerful, it has a tremendous effect on your community. When you sin, even if, it's, if you keep it secret, it still has a powerful effect. All right? And sin is destructive. Now, a sex within marriage is equally powerful, if not more powerful. Positive effect. 
And so by having a faithful sexual relationship with my spouse, I can powerfully affect my community. I can powerfully affect my children. But if I were to go out and have an affair and have sex with someone that's not my wife, would it affect other people? Hello? I've had people sit in my office and explain to me why it's okay for them to have sex with someone they're not married to. And I say, would it be okay for me to have sex with someone I'm not married to? Oh, no. How about I have sex with your your child? Would that be okay? Oh! All of a sudden it's wrong. Why? Am I a different... I'm human, you're human. I've actually had that conversation with more than one individual. I've had to say, wait, come on. And then you look at me and say, of course, it's not okay for me. Why? Because I'm a pastor? Does that give me magical powers? Don't say it's okay. Step number one, if it's sin, admit it's sin. Now, you might not have the victory over it, but the first step to victory is admitting it's sin. It's not, oops, I slipped up and went to the wrong website. I committed adultery. Get on your knees and repent. Confess it to someone else. I committed adultery. What did you do? I looked at a naked woman that wasn't my wife, and I lusted for her. That's adultery, guys, and girls. All right? Or, Or if it's worse. Call it what it is. God's called you out of it. He says, and such were some of you. These uh, Corinthians were called out of that lifestyle. And it affects uh, those around you and those that you should care the most for. Okay, I want to get on the marriage. I'm going to just take a couple of minutes about that. It says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman in a sexual way. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, because of the culture that they lived in. One thing, Paul was writing in the context that the church was under a lot of uh, oppression uh, at that time and persecution. And Paul was single. And so he was advocating living single as a single person in this chapter. But he goes on, he says, Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. Sorry. (laughs) The wife does not have authority over her own body. Hello. But the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. It is really surprising to me how so many Christians don't know this verse. And I think it's one of the most interesting verses in the whole Bible. Okay? What does that mean? That's what it says, right? In in pre-marriage counseling, I said this means that you you, you are to be one of another's sex slaves. Ba-dum-bum. You don't have authority over your body. You give it to your spouse. Well, what part of my body? All of it. When? When you're married. <laughs> what? I've had people get so mad at me when I've told them that. I'm like, I didn't write it. Let me, let me just unpack. Maybe some meaning. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for consent. You cannot not have sex with your spouse unless they give you permission. Ooh. 
It's so quiet. <laughs> Do not deprive, you know, and, may, and only a good reason would be because you're fasting and praying. But you know what? I've actually had to clarify this for you. You don't have to abstain from sex when you fast. Okay? If you're doing a 40-day fast, you may need to. Okay? Uh, <laughs> he says that it's like, well, maybe if you're fasting, you could. You know, other than that, you should be having regular sex. Uh, how often? As often as your spouse wants. So, <clears throat> um, the authority here. I want. If you didn't hear the earlier sermons, please listen to them because we were created to have shared dominion over the planet, right? Over all of creation, shared dominion, unity, and authority, and this is the expression of that. That in marriage, we yield authority of our very body to our spouse and they to us. And so we experience shared dominion, shared authority in the marriage relationship. And if you can't figure out how to relate with one other person by yielding authority of what you have under your power to them for their benefit and they to you for your benefit so that you can be in union, in unity, and in authority within that relationship, then how do you think you're going to rule the planet or the universe with Christ? Are you hearing me? That this is the place where shared dominion is worked out in the deepest levels of intimacy. So the why of why sex is so important is because it's in the sexual relationship within the covenant relationship of marriage that we share the authority of our body. The one thing that we have that's us, we actually yield and and they entrust their body to us and we have an opportunity to share dominion. And from that relationship, our dominion can spread and influence others in a godly way. And if we use that in a bad way, our influence will spread an ungodly influence. That's why sex is so important. That's why getting it right. And I understand it's well, well, well I, I, you know, feelings and, and preferences. All of that is part of the working through that God wants to restore us to the place where we can have shared dominion over all of creation, sitting on the throne with Christ for eternity. Amen. Amen. Simple as that. Wow, just as simple as that. <laughs> Woo!